Your lips can do a whole lot more than kiss. Your lips express love and speak your truth. Plump your lips with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC for natural-looking results that are completely and uniquely you. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there is a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. people come in so what's up folks the pelicans just made a blockbuster trade if you want to think of it that way because the pelicans moved a shit ton of salary from oh what's up prime man john steven adams pick and roll like what we okay yeah anywho uh pelicans made a huge ass trade they are sending the 10th pick as well as a top 10 protected lakers pick for next year I'm unclear on what the rest of the protections on that are like, but top 10 protected Lakers pick from next year, along with Steven Adams, uh, Jonas Valanciunas uh, is coming back to the Pelicans, and Eric Bledsoe is also off the team. Um, the Pelicans are doing this clearly to gain a lot of salary cap flexibility, and they can do a, a few things now, now that they have all this money. So first of all, um, my numbers weren't accurate when I was first tweeting. The accurate numbers are that the Pelicans can create up to $36 million in cap space if that is what they wanted. But that would mean that they are renouncing Lonzo Ball entirely. He can't come back. Um, that would mean they're renouncing Josh Hart entirely. That would mean they are choosing to not have the ability to use the, the full mid-level exception, which is about $9.5 million dollars. Um, almost 10. Those are, you know, teams have used that exception to sign good players. Uh, just last year, Phoenix used it to sign uh, Jay Crowder. So if they want to use all $36 million of that cap space, they have to renounce all of those things. But that means they can sign Kyle Lowry outright. Kyle Lowry is looking for $30 million a year. Uh, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money that would use basically all this brand new space 
that the Pelicans have created. Um, and it would leave them, you know, maybe about six or so million dollars uh, to add on uh, new new depth. If you know, if he doesn't use the full 36, maybe he signs for 27 and you have like eight, eight million, nine million to use, which is a little bit better. Um, you would have a smaller room level exception, which is under five million dollars to add people. And then basically you'd have your draft picks, um, you know, your your 17th pick now. And then I forget which what, what second round picks that they, they moved, but whatever it was, um, you'd have your draft picks to, to get it done. Now, I don't think you, I just wrote an article about this. I don't like the idea of just completely wasting Lonzo Ball as an asset or as a player um, to sign a 35 year old Kyle Lowry. Uh, I don't like the idea of giving up the mid-level exception to do that. Um, that's a tough pill for me to swallow. However, on paper, Kyle Lowry, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas is a damn good team. And I cannot complain about that if that is the, the plan. It's just it's just not how I would choose to do things. Um, what I would choose to do is to create a trade exception instead uh, the trade exception that they would create is not the $21 million number I tweeted before. It is uh, Eric Bledsoe's salary, which is $18.1 million, along with um, uh, an overage that they're allowed to have, which is 100 k which is, you know, just in case the salaries don't match exactly, you get 100 k So in the article, I listed out a few players that they can target with that. Um, uh, Atlanta's Bogdan Bogdanovich is one of those players that fits in there. Utah's Joe Ingles fits in that. Malik Beasley from Minnesota fits in that, you know, their team that is right up at the tax line is looking to create space because they got D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards and a few young guards. They might not need Malik Beasley. They might just need that flexibility. And so you can absorb him in that trade exception, or you can go and get a Duncan Robinson or Tim Hardaway Jr. type player if you convince the other team to sign and trade him. So if you sign and trade, if you offer them a contract starting at $18 million and you're like, okay, Miami, um, you know, you now get to have a trade exception. We'll sign and trade Duncan Robinson into our trade exception. You take it, uh, you create your own trade exception. We'll give you a couple second round picks as well for helping us out. Um, boom, then Duncan Robinson's on your team. That way you also have Lonzo Ball to do, um, to do what you want to do with. So if you want to retain Lonzo Ball, you have that flexibility. If you want to sign and trade him, if Chicago wants to offer you a first round pick, a future first round pick, you have that flexibility. I just, for me, the idea, and you guys already know how I feel about Lonzo, so I'm not going to spend time on that, but the idea of just completely punting on him as an asset is a little bit rich for me. Uh, I don't like that, but like I said, the roster with Kyle Lowry and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, um, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Jonas Valanciunas, that's, that's an unbelievable starting five. I think if you look at, you know, you look at the supporting cast that the various Pelican stars have had at any point um, in their careers, you would be hard pressed to argue that, you know, they, they've had a better supporting cast than this. Jonas is an absolute beast. Um, he can score uh, internally. Um, he's starting to expand his range a little bit. I don't think he's going to stretch the floor because no one's going to guard Jonas uh, um, out there. They're going to guard Zion Williamson, but, you know, maybe he can shot, hit a shot every once in a while. He, he just, you know, Steven Adams is really good on the boards, right? Jonas is on a, in a, a whole different level. Um, so as a player, he works really well. And guys who are actual offensive threats by nature create spacing for you just because, you know, with Steve, 
you can literally ignore him and know that, okay, maybe he's going to try to score twice a game on purpose. Um, <laughs> with Jonas, you can't do that. And, and we kind of saw how Jonas was taking it to uh, Utah um, in the playoffs. You know, they didn't really have much shooting around him. And I think shooting is going to become super imperative. Again, Jonas isn't a floor spacer himself, even though he can score. If you want to make life easier for him, you want to make life easier for Zion, the the priority still has to be shooting. Kyle Lowry definitely helps that um, if if that is the plan. But yeah, it's definitely an exciting trade. I don't expect them to be, you know, I don't expect this to be the final move. The cool thing is that they can wait um, and see how this is playing out before they decide if they want to create the trade exception or use their cap space. Like if they have an agreement with Lowry in place already, then, you know, we're going to know right off the bat and, and, we're not going to waste any time with trying to figure out if they have an exception or not. If they don't have an agreement with Lowry uh, and, and one never gets done, as long as the, the trade hasn't been made official, which it, which it won't be until the moratorium is lifted uh, like a week into August. Um, trying to get the exact date on that, but you know, forget the exact date for a second. It's, it's about a week into August is when the moratorium will lift. When the trade becomes official, you know, at that point they have to decide. So they got, they have a lot of time to figure out what they want to do here. Um, I'm excited for Jonas as a player. Uh, he's someone that I've admired for a very long time. Um, again, the, the Pelicans are going with this strategy of having a really big body who can rebound and um, bully people instead of necessarily going for a stretch five. Uh, and so that's going to be interesting how that plays out. And if, in my opinion, if this is the approach you want to take, you got to have a lot of shooting on the roster, really good guard play, as well as the ability to play small. So if there's matchups where Jonas just doesn't work, uh, you got to have someone that you can downsize with that's not Zion. Um, so some some big wing, some big forward that can space things out and allow you to, to play small. I'm going to, at this point, open up the floor for people to jump in as well as comment and, and or ask questions. I appreciate everyone that's rolled in at this time. Um yeah, man. Uh, what do you got, Emmanuel? I just don't know why the Grizzlies do this, to be honest. After just making the playoffs, I had a good team, yo. Triple J, their second best player last year when he was healthy, missed damn near the whole year, and y'all still made the playoffs. And then y'all decide, oh, th- th- this number 10 guy, this number 10 pick has to be so good. Let's trade the guy who actually fits with John Morant, and let's get Adams, who doesn't fit with y'all at all. Like, you know, it's just depressing, dog. Like, ain't gonna lie. So, would you, would you say Jonas was Memphis's second best player? This year, yes, because uh, Triple J was there. But last year, when, he, when uh, Triple J was healthy, he was the second best player. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people on Grizzlies tweet, Twitter say that Jonas may have been their best at times. Because, like, no, just, obviously, no. obviously, you know, I know, I know the whole job, you know, I know that. I'm not trying to, you know, create an argument here. Um, but I, I'm just saying, there's those people that, like, really put stock into the numbers, the advanced stats, whatever. But, yeah, I'm not trying to, you know, create some discord here. But I think, you know, second to third is, is definitely fair to say, and, and one of their more important pieces in their playoff run is is a fair assessment, right? Like, John Maia is the top 10 part guy in this league. I don't think Jonas is really – I mean, he's a little bit closer to a top 10 center, but John's like – you can argue like he's a top 10 part guy. I don't think you can make the argument for Jonas, to be honest. Sure. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that, I think that's interesting. They, the rumors are that the Memphis Grizzlies really like Josh Giddy at 17 or not 17 at 10. 
Uh, that's who they want to, to I guess, get. Um, Memphis also got the 40th pick, which is interesting. They sent the 51st. Uh, I don't that think don't those matter, picks bro. are going uh, yeah, to matter um, at all. It seems like Chris <laughs> Haynes just tweeted that Eric Bledsoe is not expected to stay in Memphis, um, which is funny because, you know, Memphis has had – uh, a litany of guys get traded onto their roster and just like never play a minute. So I wonder if they're able to, yeah, Andre Iguodala uh, being the most recent one. Um, and, you know, Bledsoe is a clutch client, so that can be a situation where things can get difficult if their agent wants it to be. I can't um, imagine a with John Brown, Eric Bledsoe in the backcourt. And you guys have Ty, uh, Tyus Jones as well as DeAnthony Melton, who are um, arguably better than Bledsoe at this point. Right. <laughs> Arguably, <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think I think it makes sense for them to want to get rid of blood. So we'll see if anyone is uh, going to take it. It'll be really funny if they're able to get value out of Bledsoe and add add on to this trade in a way that the Pelicans couldn't. I could totally see a world where that happens um, somehow. But um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start asking a couple other people uh, to to chime in. I know Ford's been waiting for a while. What's up, Ford? What's up, Shemek? Can you hear me? Yeah, how are you, man? Good, man. Um, I might be missing something, but my first impression is if you told me a year and a half ago we traded Drew Holiday for, like, Valanchunas plus we moved seven picks down and gave up a first and got two firsts back, that's, like, pretty freaking good for the Pelicans' timeline, don't you think? Um, I don't know if it's that simple, right? So Drew Holiday was traded for Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, and three first-round picks, and then they then sent a first-round pick for Steven Adams, uh, as well as some seconds, and they lost their ability to use the MLE. And now they're turning those players, as well as a better pick, into a slightly worse pick, and sending another future pick on top of that. Um, I think it's safe to say that the Steven Adams moves was a little bit of a disaster uh, for, for the Pelicans in terms of asset management. But they've quickly moved off of this, uh, you know, their predicament with with uh, Stephen Adams and, and Eric Bledsoe. And I think in a vacuum, if you look at this, if you're shedding this amount of salary and getting a, a very good playable player in return, that's a good deal. Like if you if you separate all of their past moves and just look at this move in particular, you move in seven spots back, you're you know, you got you're only sending uh, a protected pick out and you get uh, a really good player in Jonas. That's a good move in a vacuum. Um, however, it's it's the the cost that led them there that makes it um, a little worse. So I don't think you can you know necessarily ignore uh, the past. I know people are like, oh well, it's a sunk cost. You're never going to get that stuff back. I get it. You know. Um, however, there I think the assets could have been managed better, and I'm interested to see what they're going to do going forward if they also waste. Lonzo as an asset by going after Kyle Lowry. I think that's another day on their part. Now, if they get Kyle Lowry in their, you know, a 55 win team and a, a home court playoff team, all is forgiven, right? No one cares about this stuff. Um, and, and people, they make out like bandits. They look like geniuses. So wins and losses are definitely going to color any, any trade upon, uh, retrospect. But I, I think, you know, Again, losing out on Lonzo Ball, losing out on the MLE once again um, would just be little dings in in David Griffin's uh, resume that have accumulated over time where it's like, okay, you don't 
you know, you haven't shown the ability to to win around the margins. You know, you, you've shown the ability to make really good sell trades. You've shown the ability to make blockbusters. That's fine. Have you shown the ability to win around the margins? Um, and and you get so fixated on a player like last year was he was fixated on Steven Adams. This year, is it is it Kyle Lowry? Do you get so fixated on a player that, you know, you overlook the fact that you're continually missing, you know, on these small assets, missing on the margin. So that's that's my complaint. I can't evaluate this right now. Right. There's there's moves yet to be made. I have no idea what they're going to do on draft night. I have no idea who drops to 17, if they're going to keep 17. Um, is Jonas even going to stay? You know, you, you, you don't know. You, you, that's a good point. Flip, they can flip Jonas. Um if a team wants him, you know, they just can't aggregate salary with him. They can also expand the trade later if they decide they want to, you know, turn this into a Kyle Lowry sign-in trade and loop Toronto into it or, you know, if, if you want to go in elsewhere. So things are still fluid. None of this is official. Um, and I don't think it can be judged until uh, that dust settles down a couple weeks from now. Yeah, that makes sense. I have one other quick question. What do you think the chances are that the Pelicans do something like – uh, secure Lonzo Ball and leave some salary cap open with a question mark at the one and maybe let Willie Green like cook it up in, like, as a mad scientist with B.I. and Zion's two-man game and let that sort of market the team until the trade the trade deadline this season and make a move there. Um, I, I mean, I, you're, I think your guess is as good as mine in terms of what's likely at this point. Uh, I, I can't say I know what their plan is regarding Lonzo and all of that. I do think that the idea to let B.I. And, and Zion Cook has always been their plan. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if how they manage that, if they get a guy like Kyle Lowry or whatnot. But, I mean, those are your two stars. And and one of B.I.'s complaints on stand was that he didn't um, he didn't use those two guys in actions together very often to take advantage of their unique scoring abilities. So, I definitely expect Willie Green to make a change on that part. And this team, you know, regardless of what his roster is, is going to go as far as those two players is going to carry them, right? If Zion is supposed to be an MVP level player, um, you know, there are, there are players who have had worse supporting cast than he's projected to have going forward um, that, that have done a lot better. So all eyes are on those two players if they're willing to buy in commit on defense, if they're going to continue to grow in the way they've been growing offensively, I'm not, you know, like I think those guys are set. I think they're going to continue to get better and, and refine their games. But, you know, are they, as Stan would say, are they going to be able to translate their games from guys who score a lot uh, to guys who score a lot and win games um, remains to be seen. Yeah, man. Um, I I don't know what the order was, so I'm just going to call on people. What's up, Corey? Hey, what's up, man? Um, so Woj just dropped the full article on the trade and kind of snuck in the middle of there. It says that the Pels are currently trying to re-sign Josh Hart, um, which I had kind of figured was all but, you know, kind of gone away at this point with the whole all the Lonzo talk. Um, what kind of money are you comfortable throwing at Josh Hart and what kind of wrench does it throw into the potential uh, cap space for a, a Lowry deal or something along those lines? Yeah. So the cool thing with Josh Hart, that is, is his cap hold is only 
$10.4 million. Uh, I don't expect him to make more than that. Um, actually, yeah, I don't expect him to make more than that in free agency. If he does, I get a little bit scared of his contract. But, again, if he does, um, you don't have to rush to sign him. You just leave his cap hold because that's the lower number. So I think if you leave the cap hold on there, uh, you have about $25 million in cap space to play with. I don't think that's enough for Kyle Lowry. I'd be surprised if Kyle Lowry is willing to come to New Orleans for $25 million a year. Maybe, you know, the contenders just aren't able to get their stuff done, and that's what it takes to get Kyle Lowry. Um, but at $25 million a year, you have options. Uh, you can either, again, like I think there's players that you can trade into that space. I mentioned some of those in, in a tweet that I deleted, but like, you know, Harrison Barnes fits in that. Buddy Heald would fit in that. Um you know, anyone making under 25 million would fit into that. So you can trade those people into that space or there's some interesting uh, free agents on the market. I really like Duncan Robinson. I'm sure a lot of Pelicans fans like Duncan Robinson uh, for very obvious reasons. We just spent some time talking about shooting. Is Miami going to match an offer that um, starts Duncan Robinson at, you know, gives him $80 million. Is Miami going to match that? Maybe. I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested in finding out. Um, is, is Tim, is, um, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. available. I think Dallas is in an interesting spot where they can also choose to be a cap room team if they want to put, get into the free agency market. Maybe they want to throw a lot of money at John Collins. Maybe maybe they like Kyle Lowry and they want to give him money. Maybe they like Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, and if they want to create cap room, if Dallas wants to create cap room, then uh, they have to renounce Tim Hardaway Jr. and the Pelicans could be right there uh, able to sign him. So uh, again, I think using this cap space in, in multiple ways or creating a, a trade exception is a much preferable method to me than, than just blowing it all on Kyle Lowry. Um, but I, 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 again, I can't complain if Kyle Lowry is on the roster because he's a really, really good player. It's just, you know, I, I I'm scared of putting all my eggs in the Kyle Lowry basket. Does that make sense? Cool. I think Corey left the chat. So we're going to get Drew up in here. What's up, Drew? What's it like in uh, Japan right now? What time is it? Are you watching? Are you at the Olympics? Are you watching the Olympics? What's going on, man? Man, I, I woke up at 530 this morning and grabbed my phone. And as soon as I grabbed my phone, I got a wolves alert. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so well, I just morning. found this out. At, oh, yeah. Good morning, man. So now it's about 630. Uh, but yeah, I've been I've been chilling, uh, watching a little bit of the Olympics. Um I've been watching more of the weird sports that you never really watch on your own, except for when the Olympics are around. So I'm watching like table tennis and skateboarding <laughs> and all yeah, the craziness. Yeah, but it's 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 been dope. It's been dope. But this one, I you know, I've been a big fan of JV for a while. So um, if he does stay with the team, obviously right now we just got to speak on speculation and guess. And I'm just going to go with the assumption in these trades that guys are with the team until something else happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so assuming assuming he's staying with the team and he's playing, we can see JV with Zion and BI and let's say, you know, most of the current roster going through. I'm I'm pretty happy about this upgrade because JV's versatility is insane. I don't really think there's any role or any anything, any task you can give him that he's actually bad at. Like no, you can tell I, him to space the floor. You can tell him to space the floor. You can tell him to rebound. You can tell him, okay, we need you as a post scorer. We need you here. We need you passing. We need you to initiate sometime. Whatever you need him to do on the basketball court, especially on the offensive end, he has no problem. 
Look, I think first and foremost, uh, he's a career 78% free throw shooter. Anyone want to guess what Steven Adams' career free throw shooting was? It's 54. It's 54. And last year with the Pelicans, Steven Adams shot 44.4%. So this guy, you know, this guy's shooting almost double what Steven Adams shot from the line. So I think, you know, being able to put him in end game situations, being able to convert while he's at the line, that's an upgrade from a scoring uh, perspective immediately. Uh, we've already talked about, you know, what kind of a, a beast that this guy is at rebounding. Um, mm. He also had 4.1 offensive rebounds a game. So again, it's rebounding on both ends. Steven Adams is also a beast. Look, don't get me wrong, but I think I, I really truly think Jonas is on a different level. Um, he doesn't take that many threes. He took 57 uh, and made 21. So that's 36.8% just on the 37%. But that's 21 more made threes than Steve Adams did, right? Um, and so he scored 17 points a game. I think, as you said, whatever you need him to do, he can do. He only played 28 minutes a game. And I think people don't realize how large of a human being Jonas is. Um, and he... I don't think this is a downgrade defensively at all. It might even be an upgrade um, from Steven Adams, just the way his mobility was going. What do you do? You agree I with feel, that? I feel the exact. Even yeah, I was going to say the worst. I was going to say that defense, according to like, or like, there you go. Jonas can there. move so much better. Like he, he just he has legs. <laughs> he still has legs. Athletic, both of them are still throw threats as well. Like you know, that was one thing that was okay for. For Steven Adams is sometimes, oh, you can get a putback guard, a little alley-oop threat. JV's a way better uh, uh, putback and alley-oop threat as far as if you're not pulling the board down. Just his overall mobility is better than Steven Adams. I I really don't think there's, again, rebounding, I would say what and what. But (laughs) other than that, other than that is like pretty much everything I'm leaning towards JV. And Yo. I'm all right with the price. You 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 follow college way more than I do, so I want to ask you the jump between going from ten to I think well we're going back to seventeen. Um, yep. how significant is that in your eyes? I don't think it's insignificant. Um, but historically speaking, you know, uh, the top ten is where most of the magic happens in the draft. It's where you're most likely to like pick a player that's actually going to stick with your team for a second contract. Um, however, it, it really is a crapshoot outside of the top five. Um, so, you know, top 10 is an easy delineation to do like math on and figure out, you know, what the careers are going to be like. But really outside of the top five, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot. And in this particular draft, um, there's a lot of people that believe that outside of the top four, like, it might just be a total crapshoot all around. I mean, I think there's it's going to produce good NBA players, and like I'm very high on some specific guys like Josh Giddy, who I I believe Memphis is going to pick up. I think they're going to get an absolute star. Uh, I mean, obviously, I don't know if he's going to be a star, but he's going to be a very good player, and it's going to be very fun to watch in in Memphis. Um, but you know, there's a very good chance that some of these wings, these three and D wings that the Pelicans are targeting, like Corey Kispert or Trey Murphy. Um, drop down to 17 and then there's even a possibility that some unknown person uh slides all the way down so Jalen Johnson is a guy who played at Duke he's a clutch client um so that's you know that might scare some people off but he he's had some uh let's just say like questionable intel um because you know he left Duke um early because the situation 
there wasn't great for him personally. I don't blame him at all for that decision. Um, there's been other rumors surrounding him. So I can see NBA teams being scared off if they think his like quote unquote character is not there. Kind of what happened with Kevin Porter Jr. And he kind of, I think he fell out all the way to 29 or 30 that one draft. Um, but the talent is, is there for him. So someone like that can slip through the cracks and fall to 17. There's a couple guards I like. Um, you know, maybe Keon Johnson's there, maybe Jaden Springer's there. So I, I do think that in this particular draft, the, the difference between 10 and 17 isn't like enormous. I, I it's, 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 there's a difference. I don't want to like, you know, hand wave it away, but. So what I you're don't saying is the Grizzlies. <laughs> of course, it's a Pelicans-based podcast, man. That's what I'm going to say. Um, I, but, Emmanuel, I wanted to ask you a little bit on, on JV. How is he as a as a passer and ball mover? As a passer, I'm not going to lie. I have no idea, but he's a, probably a lot better than Adams. I'm not, and his defense like Adams is actually sneaky good at passing, so that's why I was asking. Like he's, He can he, he sees the floor, and, and he moves the ball. It, really it doesn't matter. Adams' outlets are good. Like, yeah, I don't understand why after just making the playoffs and Jonas being like, or when Triple J was hurt, the same as player, you want to trade him. Just to wait for a guy, number 10, whoever that's going to be, to wait and develop. Like, the Grizzlies are trying to be a competitive team and make the playoffs again. Like, I don't understand, man. Stuff is sad. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely taking it slow. Um, so, it's... It's going to be interesting to watch. And they, it, it's going to be really funny if a, if the guy that they do love is not there at 17. That's going to be interesting. Or not 17, but 10. I want you to explain this to me for, for, for what you think on Memphis side. Because I don't really get this trade for Memphis that much unless they have another move for Memphis. I would love to know, too. Yeah, because I'm like – I. I see a lot of positive for us, and I agree with you on the um, – for most drafts, I feel that way that, okay, outside of when you're in late lottery, it's just crapshoot going through, and it sounds like this draft, it's that's more the case than most drafts. I don't really get this for Memphis. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to see where they went out in this and where their team really improves. And if they want someone um, – some of these guys – that they that they won at ten. I don't really see the like. Is it possible that they get taken you earlier and their guys aren't there anymore? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look. I think it's it's clearly for the tenth pick, and they're in love with someone there. Um, you know, maybe maybe it is Josh Giddy. And if you believe that you know Giddy can shoot, um, then you're then you're looking at a guy who can potentially score at all three levels. He's six eight. He can pass the hell out of the ball. Um, so maybe it's him. Maybe they really love, I don't know, Franz Wagner. I don't know. But clearly they love someone in that range enough to where they're willing to take on Steven Adams, um, you know, have a take a downgrade in the center position, take on more salary with Bledsoe and 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 move up in in the draft. So it's it's gotta be that they're infatuated with someone at ten, uh, enough to to pull the trigger on this. And they're okay slow building around Ja. And, and their, their young core. But yeah, I don't think that, yeah, they're, they're slow playing it and they're, they don't see, while they like Jonas Valanciunas, they didn't see him as like the long term fit at center for their sure. team. I think in the long run, they think Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be their center anyway. But also, they, like you said, they probably love a player at 10. And if you look at their cap space in the future, they're actually going to have a lot of cap space opening up in the future. So they're not worried about taking on bad cap space in the short run. But also, I want to bring up something that you guys are not really talking about. And I think the difference between – I think it's very important that the Pelicans get a good point guard, whether it's Kyle Lowry 
it has to be someone good, I think, because I think the the difference between Steven Adams and Jonas Valanciunas, it's hard to know how big a difference there is because one played with John Morant, who is an amazing passer as a point guard, and the other one played with Zion running most of the point, which really made no sense with the way he played. Not saying that Zion's bad. He's really good. I'm just saying it didn't make sense. It didn't fit with what Steven Adams does. So if you guys get a good a, a good point guard, I think then you'll see it, you, it'll work out more. Because I think Steven Adams is going to look a lot better playing with Ja Morant than he did. I, I agree uh, that he's going to look a lot better with Ja. Um, he's he's much more of a pick-and-roll guy uh, that um, we saw that with, with Russ. You know, another athletic point guard is really good at facilitating the ball. And he's going to be able to clean up a lot of Ja's misses. Um, so Ja is going to absolutely thrive with the screens that, that Steven Adams set. And and the Pelicans really weren't even looking for Steven as an uh, option offensively. So um, I, I don't think, Stan, like, you know, Stan basically said, yeah, we're going to run plays for Bledsoe and JJ. And, like, never mention Steven. Like, he's just not there to score. Um, so I think he's going to look better. I think with your comment on Zion, uh, yeah, Zion's definitely not the playmaker that, that Ja is. However, whenever Zion's running pick and roll or, or whatever he's doing on the ball, 99.9% of the time the best offensive play is for Zion to just go take a layup because no one's stopping him. He has an unreal percentage at the rim. And if he misses, he's going to, there's a really good chance he's going to get his own miss and put, and put it back. So the Pelicans offense um, definitely struggled uh, over relying on that at times, but when everyone is healthy, uh, they had a two month stretch where they were the number one offense in the league. And that was behind Zion's efficiency. And so no, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying that that makes Steven Adams look bad though. That's my point yes. that I'm saying. Because you're, you're right. you're if that's the right. case, then what is – Correct. He's just setting screens and grabbing rebounds and being tall. You're right. You're absolutely right. I think Adams looks better with with Ja, uh, for sure. And if Memphis is able to add more shooting, because, um, you know, JJJ is going to space the floor. Clearly, Memphis feels similarly to how, like, New Orleans feels about Zion, with, as they do to JJJ in the sense that they don't trust him as rebounder that they want these uh, big old bodies around him that can, you know, A, take the beating against the big centers and B, um, you know, end possessions on, on the defensive glass. So, uh, but JJJ can really shoot when he's healthy. Like he can, he can really shoot. And so if they're able to get more shooting at the, at the two and three spots, um, you know, if, if Dylan Brooks uh, curbs down his shot selection a little bit, uh, starts converting at a higher rate on three, if, you know, I don't know if slow-mo is going to be their starter at three, but, if his his shot looked a lot better last year, converted at a much higher rate. If that continues, um, or they find you know better shooting in general, uh, Stephen Adams is going to look a lot better. I, I can I can see that going well for him. Brennan mentioned uh, Jackson's name in the chat. I think he was just making a comment, but it, it brought something to my mind that uh, that. JV and Jax. Jax has a very similar game to JV. I think Jax's goal of his game is very similar to what JV's is. Like that's what Jax wants to be going through as far as the offensive skill and all around game. So I'm really interested to see. We have some really, really good big men trainers uh, who are going to pair up JV and Jax again. If, if, you know, if everything holds through. Um, and have them working together. And I'm really curious to see how that helps Jax progress because he learns, he's like a sponge learning. Like we saw that his rookie year, his his extreme growth. Like he learns really quick. So I wonder how much this is going to help Jax fold out his game and, and see 
you know, parts of his game that he didn't really uh, experience. Well, the cool thing is that Jonas is only uh, on the books for one year, so it doesn't get in the way of Jackson being a full-time starter going forward, right? Um, and, you know, if, if Jackson overtakes him this year, he overtakes him. However, you're the Jackson expert because you're the one that talks to him. Uh, you should answer that question. <laughs> yeah. Well, basically, yeah, I feel like this, <laughs> I feel like this is going to be a big year of keeping through with JV because he is a sponge. Because yeah. Jackson, like these are all the things Jackson's working on, becoming, adding that little three point shot kind of like JV has. Every, pretty much everything except being way more of a freak athlete. You know, For his sure. instincts are getting better. His strength, JV, JV's strong, um, but he's not, I don't think he's Adam strong. Like he's not that crazy, crazy, um, Move everybody He's out of the way. He's not strong for no reason. <laughs> yeah, like we saw, we had some games when Favors were here where Favors was killing him on, uh, on as far as rebounding, rebounding. He was ragdolling JV, and I see some really, really similar marks into where Jax wants his game to be and where JV's is now. I don't know JV uh, uh, how his personality is and how much of a, a a leader he is. I don't know if he's like young vet material guy because we saw. Some guys that are like that, like, hey, Bledsoe, aren't really the leader type dudes. So I don't know how much you'll learn directly from him, but I know training with him, how Jax learns that he's going to take a lot from the game that he sees, especially in 1v1 battles, because JV has pump. JV, I think, is the best pump faker in the league. And <laughs> <laughs> legit, like, JV's pump fake is insane. His timing on pump fakes is, is, is insane. So I think he's going to learn a lot in these 1v1 battles. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, Henry, man, you've been waiting for a while. What's going on? And I don't have Henry. We'll go to Ben uh, while Henry fix, uh, fixes the situation. What's up, Ben? How you doing? Hey, what's happening? How you d- man, we're, we're, we're just reacting. What about you? Oh, man, I'm in heaven because I hated the moves from last season. I hated them. Um. I will say I'm loving I'm loving Yunis because uh, he's a dog, and I know everybody in the NBA we we all want shooting we all need shooting. Sometimes we we equate shooting to mean three point shooting. Um, Jonas brings shooting. Jonas is effective. Um, I mean Jonas averaged ten more points than Adams. Ten more points, and the Pelicans would have won how many more games? I mean we might have been a a six seed, you know what I'm saying? So um, I'm yeah, excited. So, so Jonas, um, he didn't take very many of, you know, he took like 2% of his shots from the long mid range, but he hit 50, 56% of them. He took uh, like 8% of his short shots from the short mid range. He hit 50% of them. And then he took 53% of, uh, no, he took 35% of his shots in the floater range in the paint. And he hit 53% of them. So he's like 50, 50, 50 in like all the mid range areas. Um, right. And, you know, and he's not a very high volume guy from, from distance, but Memphis killed teams with their floaters, killed teams. Um, you know, all their, like their whole roster, slow mo, uh, John Morant, uh, Brooks, um, Melton and, and Jonas, you know, they, they were deadly in that little paint space. Um, not quite at the rim, but, you know, uh, below the foul line. Just, you know, dropping it over those rim protectors that like to sit back and 
um, in camp. So I think it's going to yeah. be super interesting uh, how they incorporate him offensively. Uh, definitely excited to have an offensive threat at the five. I mean, like it, people liked what Billy Hernan Gomez did. This is I like, did. <laughs> right. This is this is Billy Hernan Gomez like on steroids. <laughs> yes, and and what I yeah, like, what I like, and I don't think it's um it's being like mentioned or even thought about. Eunice could be a run stopper because he can go down there and get you a bucket, and you know, and the Pelicans don't have the outside of Zion really. So that we you know we see people go on a 10-0 run on the Pelicans. And we're like, somebody make a shot and you might be able to drop it in the units and he goes with a drop step and get you a bucket, you know, stem a stem a run. For sure. When you, when you have, um, you know, games that, you know, Zion misses or, or BI misses, you're going to be able to lean on him as, as an offensive option. Uh, and that, and that's definitely, you know, just having more guys on the floor that aren't liabilities offensively, uh, makes you a better team, period. So, um, I agree with that. I, and I appreciate you, you chiming in. Definitely hang around, cause I, but I want to get Brennan uh, real quick. What's up, Brennan? Oh, uh, what's up, man? Um, How you doing? Good. I'm all in on this um, young core so far. Like, not really into – I wasn't really into the 10th overall pick. Like, unless we were going to get rid of Lonzo, which is still on the table, like, I was in favor of trading the pick anyway. But um, what does this mean for Kyra, though? Because, like, we only have – Kyra on contract for next year. I don't think he's starting, but I think he's definitely going to be our backup point guard headed next season. Um, so just a correction, uh, Kyra, Kyra can is under Pelicans control for three more years if they want him to be. Uh, they're most likely going to pick up his uh, player option if they his his options. Every rookie scale contract comes with options in the second. Uh, half of the the four years there are so the pelicans are definitely going to pick those up it doesn't make sense not to so you get at least three more years of Kyra at a very low salary um before you head into restricted free agency with him so i don't think there's any rush to figure out what he's going to be um i don't think adding kyle lowry necessarily gets in his way i think we all understand that he's not ready to to be a full-time starter yet but it'd be cool to see him get that permanent bench role and and run that bench unit um, this year. If, if he's capable of doing that, then he's definitely going to be on the team for a long time and maybe possibly turn into a starter. Yeah, I was thinking, like, I don't really see him as a starter in the long term, like, if Zoe stays. But, um, I don't know, like, he can turn into, like, that turned-up version of, Ty- of Tyus Jones from Memphis, like, maybe next year or maybe the year after. Yeah, I mean, I possibly, right? I don't think anyone really knows what his range of outcomes is at the moment. Maybe he's only a bench guy for the rest of his career. Maybe he turns into, you know, like uh, a Ty Lawson that can shoot, and, and, but actually also defend as well. So um, I don't see Lonzo also getting in his way, right? I don't think they do similar things on the court. Um, I think they can play together. And frankly, I would have loved to have seen more minutes uh, with those two this past year. It just didn't work out. But, um, yeah, I think regardless of what the Pelicans do, it doesn't necessarily mean anything for Kyra right now. And I don't think there's a rush to to find out, you know, um, what he is yet because the Pelicans are hopefully going to be leaning on a little bit more veteran players. Um, you know, maybe they end up trading him 
because if they don't see a fit for him going forward, I'd be shocked, though. I'd, I'd expect them to continue using their draft picks to to accomplish that. Yeah. I think, like, in terms of getting rid of Zoe, I feel like you should at least give him one more year to increase his value even more. Like, if he's able to take that next step. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I hear what you, where you're coming from, but his contract decision, as I think Andrew was about to say, is now. And so um, if, if you're in a situation where he doesn't increase his value and you've already paid him, well, you're, you're stuck. Um, and the other thing is, if the Pelicans are really hell-bent on, on sounding Lowry, then there's no Zoe to talk about at all. Um, so th- it would be nice to be able to give Zoe another year but they really have to make a decision on him now um, with regards to his money, because that, that money is going to be a very real factor in the rest of the moves they're able to do for this, this off season. Gotcha, man. Thank you for your time, man. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, anyone else uh, in this room willing, uh, wanting to hop in and ask questions? I know Drew and you, I can you also got a up. couple in the chats. Uh, you got one asking what you think about Griff. Uh, getting rid of every single decision he made eight months ago, and a, uh, I think one more question in the chat about the uh, using the 17 pick uh, and, and adding another to trade up to 13 or 14 for Kispert. I don't know. Oh yeah, okay. Let me answer those two questions, and we get Elliot um, uh, on the stage after that. So, with regards to Griff moving on from his decisions. Um, it kind of, you know, it's, it's cool that he's able to recognize and adapt quickly. I think anyone who calls them an optimist would be mistaken, right? Optimists usually let things play out. Um, he reacts very quickly and he's done that the whole time, uh, when he's been a, a lead decision maker in the NBA, including back in Cleveland, where he fired David Blatt after a year. Um, he overhauled his roster year after year. So he's not one to just sit on his hands. Um, he's a very, very active person in shaping the roster. Um, It would have been nice if he didn't make the mistakes. Uh, I think that's the ideal world. And hopefully he can learn um, from his mistakes going forward. So he doesn't repeat them. I uh, am looking at this Kyle Lowry situation and hoping it's not one of those things where he puts all his eggs in, in that one basket again, but we'll see. Um, But you would like your executive to be adaptable and, and willing to be flexible rather than go on TV like Neil O'Shea and be like, yeah, the roster is not an issue, and any coach that's coming in here needs to make it work. Uh, that would be more embarrassing, in in my opinion, than than what David Griffin does in his press conferences as well. Uh, to answer Corey's, uh, I don't know, it was Corey's question, but someone someone's question about uh, moving up to thirteen or fourteen a draft Kispert, I am not a fan of adding another first to go draft a specialist. Um, you can find someone in, via a trade or a free agency. Like we've talked about, they have flexibility now. Like, just go get Buddy Heald. Go go sign Tim Hardaway Jr. Go go sign uh, Duncan Robinson. Go get one of these guys. Don't give up another asset for, for Corey Kispert. I, again, this is from someone who isn't enthused on, on – on, I mean, like, I think Kispert's going to be a good player. He's going to end up being a good shooter. You look at the track record of shooters like him, and people have this notion in their head that they're going to come in day one. They're going to be good. Um, just look at how long it took J.J. Redick to be effective when he entered the NBA. Look at how long it took Doug McDermott to be effective. Even Buddy Heald. Like, Buddy Heald was not 
more effective earlier than Jamal Murray. Like there's just no, I just don't believe in the notion of like these, this guy's going to come in and, um, you know, be, be an immediate impact guy. So personally would not like to give up another asset for Kispert, like to hold on to our now dwindling treasure trove of picks in case Damian Lillard asks out in the future. Carl uh, Anthony Towns asks out. So one of those guys, Pelicans still have a ton of picks. Um, don't waste more of them going after the Corey Kisperts of the world. Uh, what up, Elliot? You've been waiting for a while. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you guys? Great. Sweet. Well, hey, I only have a sec. I'm about to be on a radio show to talk about this. Um, I was just, I'd probably missed the beginning of the show too. So um, you, you may have very well talked about it, but um, I was wondering who you guys wanted at, at 17. I, I'm a huge Trey Murphy guy. Obviously you're looking for the three and D type and, He's a shooter and has that 6'9 frame. So uh, I'll leave with that. Yeah, man. I think a lot of people are fans of Trey Murphy uh, for the exact reasons you mentioned, right? It's one of those guys that you hope you can just fit right in on any team. Um, uh, I, I, the other night I was talking about, you know, I don't think it's difficult to see him carving out a career like Trevor Ariza did uh, going forward. I Obviously, it's impossible to predict what these guys turn into and how effective they're going to be day one, but – this is kind of the dream that every every NBA team wishes they have, like, big wings who can defend and, and shoot. Um, so I think he'd be a good fit at 17. I It's interesting because there's a lot of people on, on draft Twitter who aren't very high on him. They don't, they don't think that he has um, really good shooting skills outside of spot-up shooting. So, you know, you close out hard on him. They don't think that he's going to be an effective player in the NBA. They don't think he's going to be, like, a, a relocation-type shooter. Um, and then they're, they don't, you know, they don't believe that he can do much if you force him to put the ball on the floor. So definitely not a perfect player, but you know, I would be, I'd be happy with him at 17. I think there was buzz today about guys like him and and Chris Duarte going even higher because there's a lot of teams in this range, like looking to compete now and, and they want those kind of players. So he might not even be there at 17. So I'd be fine with him. I think that that's a good pick. Sweet. I also like uh, who was it? Uh, Trey Mann, and then and I know you just got done talking about Kispert, and I will actually leave after this comment. Um, but <laughs> I I'd, I'd love him at seventeen if he fell that far. So I'm- yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Seventeen. Great value for Kispert. Um, love that. I like Trey Mann as well. Uh, he's um a guard, a six four guard who can shoot from deep. Like he has like. I don't want to say he has Lillard range, right? But he attempts to have Lillard range. Uh, he shot for like 40% on threes uh, off the dribble, which is absolutely absurd for a college player. Um, would be very, very interesting if the Pelicans pick up a, a shooting option like that. Um, what is up, Steven? How you doing? Man, what is happening, man? <laughs> you know, just uh, breaking down a crazy trade a few days before the draft. Yeah, I, mean, I, I see that. Man, I was just about to ask both of y'all on Twitter. I said, man, is this space is worthy? Then I come on green, green room and say, oh, man, they already got it going on. Yeah. <laughs> I said, man, this some shit. Yeah, well, you know, as long as uh, green room keeps giving us uh, audio files that we can publish as podcasts, I think it's a better option than spaces, which spaces crashes on my phone um, all the time. So. I think they got a lot of work. It's a pain. Even when I was recording it, it's kind of a pain to record it and run emulators on a computer and stuff. They, they, they need to get their stuff together. They're going. Real, real, real. But let me get a a a quick question off. Um, 
with 17. Is it a foregone conclusion? We gotta go for like a shooter, or or can we get like a, I don't know a, a Jared Butler type of guy? I don't know. Legitimately, have no idea. I mean, I, I think every team is kind of looking, or every like analyst is kind of looking at the Pelicans and thinking like they need shooting. This is the time to get shooting. So it makes a lot of sense. That's who they would target, right? It makes it makes a ton of sense. Um, but I can totally see them bucking the trend and be like, whatever, uh, we're going to take the best player available because that's what they've done every single year. You know, you've already, you've already kind of made your, uh, flashy trade. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to necessarily, um, take the safe route here. You can, you can swing on someone who you think might have a long-term future because that's what you're giving up with 10. 10 was supposed to be this premium asset that allows you to, draft someone um, that you generally shouldn't have an opportunity to draft as long as Zion Williamson is on your team. So maybe you're going to be like, okay, well, we don't have that opportunity, but let's take, you know, let's take a swing at 17. Last time the Pelicans had the 17th pick, they drafted Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who is, you know, we're all familiar with this game, but he was a, a sophomore. So they, you know, not necessarily an 18 year old, but not necessarily an upperclassman either. Someone that, kind of had the skills to become more than just a specialist. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens at 17. I really think everything is on the table. Right, right, right. And, you know, we really don't have to go shooting per se because, you know, we got we got money now. <laughs> we can go get some shooting, some free exactly. agent shooting. <laughs> and, and that's my point is, like, in the draft, why not take – why not take a player that you probably are unable to acquire via trade or a free agency? Obviously you have no idea if they're going to turn out to be any good, but that's kind of the, that's my philosophy is you should take swings on players that can develop into something that are, you know, the NBA hoards and, and refuses to trade to other teams. And so that, that would kind of be my goal, but well, I guess we'll see in three days if, if 17 is even on the roster. Oh, true, true, true. And then we got the full second rounders. You got some second round shooters and some draft and stash guys as well. There's options. Yep. A yep. lot of options that we didn't have like 90 minutes ago. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, that's and all I encourage. I've been for. Yep. And I encourage everyone to, to kind of look at this article that I wrote today. It lays out all of those options, including Kyle Lowry. And yeah, just just read that article. It'll explain all the cap stuff if you missed it at the beginning of this pod. Uh, we got Jason, and after Jason, we're gonna wrap it up. What's up, Jason? Yeah, I'm back. I have a question. Um, the way I'm interpreting this trade, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. We can debate this. Is that they're not gonna resign Lonzo? Because if you're gonna bring Lonzo back, why would you even do this trade? Like, because the cap space that you save by getting rid of Bledsoe doesn't really matter if you're gonna bring back Lonzo because you have. Um, so it's a little bit more complicated than that. They don't have to renounce Lonzo yet. They don't have to make a decision on him yet. Um, if they indeed go and, uh, go get a Kyle Lowry or someone, then yes, it means there's no Lonzo, but you know, they have, they can get up to 36 million in cap space so they can sign Lonzo for 18, right? They can sign Lonzo for 18 and still have 18 left over for, for someone else to, to give to a Duncan Robinson, to give to, to whoever. So 
I don't but think not, it means the Wolves the, report is correct with us trying to re-sign Josh Hart, and that'll bring us down to about twenty-five, right? Yeah, you know that's what Woj says. I I don't know if if any of that is um, set in stone. That's yeah, but I'm hear saying. me out then. So so you're saying that they did this trade so that way they could sign a guy like a Duncan Robinson, like that that. I mean, really? That doesn't really make sense to me. I, it only really makes sense to me is if they're going to go after, like, the, another point guard that they can't get. With You you don't like Duncan Robinson? Oh, I, I like Duncan Robinson. I'm just saying, I don't know if I would be giving up draft picks to then pay Duncan Robinson. I'm, I would I would absolutely do it. <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I I think those kind of shooters, yeah. I think those kind of shooters are really difficult to acquire. Um, you know, either Duncan Robinson, either uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., that type of player. And again, it doesn't mean they got to let go of Lonzo. They can they can do that, right? They can hold on to Lonzo. They don't even have to turn this into cap space. They can turn this into a, uh, a trade exception and still go after those guys and still hold on to Lonzo. They got a lot of options. Um, I mean, I guess it, they do have options. I just I don't. I don't know. I, I guess I didn't read it. I, I, yeah, I mean, you, you make sense. It makes sense what you guys are saying. I just, I thought that, for instance, I thought Lonzo was in such an advantageous position with the Pelicans before this trade, where he basically could hold well, it over their heads. Like, you either match this offer or you're not really going to have cap space to do much. Anyway. Yeah. Um, well, that's, you're correct that his leverage has been, has yanked off the table. However, um, Conversely speaking, the Pelicans can now advertise to teams that they, they can match whatever on Lonzo and they're not going to have any issues with the cap or the tax because they're so far under it. Um, and that way, if someone really, really wants Lonzo, uh, they better give him a real asset so they can sign and trade him. And I'm looking at the Chicago Bulls for that. Uh, last person here, Sean, you snuck in at the last moment. What's going on? Um, you, how are you feeling about this from the Grizzlies side? Absolutely ecstatic, but also very, very frustrated. And it's a pleasure to talk with you for the first time, by the way. Thank you for letting me come up for a few minutes. But uh, um, it, it, it's it, it's bittersweet. It's it's an absolute win-now trade for both teams. Surprising to see rivals do it. But the focus is for the Pelicans to win now. And, and, and an excellent job by them to free up the cap space. An excellent job by the Grizzlies to get the picks that they want to focus on the future and now have an arsenal of picks Similar to what the Pelicans have, not similar. Y'all still have deeper, deeper pockets when it comes to that. But uh, y'all are going to enjoy Jonas Valanciunas. He is going to embrace a young roster and an underrated part of this deal. I feel with getting Jonas, I feel that you know it makes sense for y'all to keep him. What he does to free up Zion now in terms of heat. I know Stephen Adams did that already, but. Jonas being able to do it on both ends, him embracing Giannis, or excuse me, uh, Giannis Zion's game, that's an underrated part of this deal, but it's going to be a good relationship. Y'all got a really good one in JV. I appreciate you chiming in with that, Sean. I, I do have a couple questions for you. My first question, or one thing I think you brought up interestingly, is that the Grizzlies now have some interesting draft capital to play with if they ever want to enter in the the star trade uh, talks, they can they can get in there because they got some young players. They got future picks. Um, they can make a competitive offer. So definitely don't like setting up a, a division rival with, with that. But, um, you know, it, like you said, it, it should be – if this works out, it's a, it's a win-win situation for both teams. Um, who do you think the, the Grizzlies are locked in on at 10th? 
Uh, it's it's hard to say. There's three different reports, but it's the names that we anticipated. I highly anticipate they're going to move up again. I've always thought it, at the top of my board consistently has been Moses Moody and James Booknight. I think those are the two big guys. I also think Franz Wagner, Josh Giddy makes some sense. Uh, but at the end of the day, I do think that the reason why they did this more than anything was the ability to get a future asset, not have to give up too many of their own to move up from 17, but get in that range where they can get that really significantly talented big wing or shot creator like a book night, Moody or Wagner. So I think one of those three also Kaminga, if he falls, I think one of those three or four really makes sense, either shot creation or a truly significant talented wing to add with John Jaron. Thanks for that that insight. Sure. I if I may, can I ask Sean one question before he goes out of here? Sean, what's what's JV's personality like? Because it seems like the Grizzlies fan base is absolutely in love with them. Yes. Um, but what is he like for other teammates? Because uh, that I think that's a big part going forward with this team, and of course for the Grizzlies too, because both of us have really young rosters. Oh, it's absolutely the same thing that you see that defined Jonas Val or. Uh, um, Dylan Brooks and others. He is someone that's an absolute nightmare for other bigs to play, but he is someone that his teammates are going to love. JV was a big reason why our culture in Memphis, and you can put whatever credit you want to on that for a rebuilding team, but for many it mattered. He, there's a reason why so many people are sad to see him go. Why this roster likely is going to be frustrated to see him go. He embraced the big brother, basically enforcer type role. He really embraced the youth on the roster, knowing that this was being built the right way, committing to relationships with the younger players. And so I think he's going to absolutely do that in New Orleans, especially with Zion and others. I think that you're going to love Jonas. He, he, he's someone, no, not, not a big guy for words. He's a big guy for actions, but he knows how to effectively play physically and obviously can get the job done on both ends of the court, especially offensively. You're going to love the personality, the persona and the, and the production as well. He's a rebounding machine. It's going to, to me, it'll be a disappointment if the Pelicans aren't a top five rebounding team for however long Zion and Jonas. And if it's culture and accountability, then he's going to be my favorite. Yes, he he's they, they, they call it they, they call it the JV hive here for for good reason, just simply because of the fact that you know he's polarizing, and the fact that his style of play is something that probably is going to go down in a bit in the playoffs. You see it with these traditional centers in today's game. But if he is not your best player like he was for the Grizzlies, if he is another added addition to go off Zion's ability to get to the rim and playmaking as a drop-off or dunker spot type guy for the Pelicans offense, as well as taking the physicality out of the equation for Zion to have to deal with, now you see Zion and Brandon Ingram's games expand, especially a bit more on the perimeter as well as playmaking. That's what he does for you on the court. Maybe defensively may not be what you had had in Adams, though I know Adams, he may not have the, the best opinion of uh, himself in uh, New Orleans from fans, uh, but uh, JV's going to be someone that you love with the production, but also the personality. It's a great combination. Man, that was incredible insight. I'm very glad that you hopped in here uh, right at the buzzer and, and were able to give that to us. Uh, I appreciate everyone's time. Uh, this has been going on for about an hour now. I'm going to uh, hop off and try to make some calls and figure out what the hell's going on. Uh, but appreciate y'all hanging with us for this past hour and we'll publish this shortly. Um, we'll try to have it up by tonight. 
Um, thank you all for for hanging on. And good morning, Drew. Hope you enjoy the rest <laughs> of your day. Appreciate it. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. Yeah. And thank you for hanging around, Stephen. Thank you. Yeah. Peace, y'all. What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.